Hello, this is the Art Dirt Podcast from Glass Tire, where we discuss topical art topics of the week. I'm Rainy Knutson. I'm Christina Reese. And this week, we're going to talk about dirty money. Yeah, tainted money going to institutions. Tainted and how, money. how should we feel about this? So um, I'll kick this off with a, a story. I think it was on the 12th of March... I believe that Nan Golden um, and about a hundred other protesters showed up at the Metropolitan and through um, the artist Nan Golden, well-regarded New York Mm -hmm. artist, showed up to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, went to a wing at the Metropolitan called the Sackler Wing, Mm. paid for by Sackler money. We'll get to that in a second. And she and other protesters threw these uh, pill bottles into this moat that surrounds a particular uh, Egyptian piece. The protest was about the Sackler family. The Sackler family uh, owns Purdue Pharmaceutical. This is OxyContin. This is the drug that, you know... Oh, I thought it was because they put children in sacks and stole them away. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and the the Sackler wing, for anyone who doesn't know, you've probably seen a picture of it, is this incredibly impressive, uh, you know carbuncle on the side of the met that's a big glass walled one one wall of it is glass and there's an ancient egyptian um structure in there it's some kind of i'm not i don't i actually don't know what it is if it's a tomb or an entryway to a city but it's got statues and arches and it's ancient egyptian it's very big you can walk all the way around it there's a water feature around it interestingly it's this is not the sackler wings first uh brush with controversy because their big glass a tilted wall that looks out onto um, Central Park uh, apparently is a death trap for birds. So they have to go out and collect the co- corpses of all the birds that fly into the glass thinking that it's sky. Ugh. So it, it's a bird killer on top of everything else. It's a bird killer. <laughs> the Sacklers have, uh, have funded a, a lot of uh, museums and institutions, dozens of them, in fact, the you know the the New Yorker ran a story I think late last year that really traced the Sackler money and the opioid crisis and how it all worked and and how they got their phar- pharmaceutical reps to essentially you know lie uh, in order to get more and more doctors to prescribe this particular drug in the run up to this crisis which has been ongoing for a while they say you know the controversy is that the Sacklers are not taking responsibility for their role in um, this opioid crisis that they're whitewashing their own reputation by giving to these institutions art washing uh, in the, in the good sense of the word yeah art washing the, another recent thing that happened is Jerry Saltz the uh, art critic for New York magazine he uh, he went to the Met which he, he loves the Met he goes to the Met every week um, but he did his own protest of the David Koch Plaza, which opened in 2014 uh, to the tune of $65 million. David Koch being, you know, part of the Koch brothers, Koch Industries, they have funded, um, I mean, they're essentially funders of a type of culture war. Very, very, very right wing. And um, huge, huge givers, donators to Republican causes and super conservative causes. So there's a marble plinth, and it says the Coke Plaza, or the David Coke Plaza, engraved into the marble in gold letters. And so he got a sticker that was like, that looked like the marble, a long sticker that was exactly the size of this lettering, which said... Climate Change Denier Plaza. Interestingly, this is not the first time the Cokes 
have uh, run up against controversy <laughs> in their ch- in their charitable giving because this is what I love. They funded uh, a ton of money uh, to the Smithsonian. I'm sure they've given to other people too for their halls about evolution, their dinosaur hall. And their um, their Hall of Human Origins, they gave $35 million to the Dinosaur Hall in 2012. Previously, they gave $15 million to the Hall of Human Origins at the Smithsonian. And then in New York, they gave $20 million to the Dinosaur Wing um, at the Natural History Museum in New York. So mm-hmm. these are people who've made their money in oil and gas. So they believe in dinosaurs, let's, let's assume, since that's, what's, that's what that goo is made of. Yeah, that's what's fueling our cars. <laughs> and, and you know, this was a big stink that occurred in 2015. And none other than Mark Ruffalo, a.k.a. the Hulk, tweeted, why are science museums in bed with science deniers? Yeah, and, you know, um, he didn't renew his uh, board membership at the Natural History Museum in 2015. Coke did not. No, he didn't. And then there, there had already been a petition to get rid of him um, at that point. So when... When his uh, board membership expired, he just didn't renew it. Now there's the now there's Rebecca Mercer. So the Mercer money, mm-hmm. uh, also incredible money, big big climate deniers, and they actually fund, you know, pseudo research into proving that CO two is good for the environment. <laughs> I mean that's how that's how far backward the Mercer money is. And Rebecca Mercer is on the board of the Natural History Museum. There's a petition to get rid of her as well. And yet another example, in 2007, the American Petroleum Institute donated $5 million to the, also to the Smithsonian um, for their uh, new exhibit and initiative about the world's oceans. <laughs> and there was a bit of a stink about it. And I think that the... Uh, I think the Smithsonian did take the money in that in that case, and I think I think they also took all the Coke money for their evolution halls, um, despite the fact that the Cokes surely give money to people who believe that the world is flat, six thousand years old, and that um, there's no such thing as evolution. But in any event, so the whole issue is: should museums or other cultural or educational or philanthropic institutions accept money? from sources that may be questionable. Should they be doing this? Because that's the whole deal with the Sackler wing and this thing that just came up. Yeah, and there, there's a different ways of looking at what, what is making the money tainted? Why is it tainted? Is it tainted because of the way the money was made? And that would be the Sackler uh, controversy. Uh, or because of, the, because of the politics of the people who donated, which would maybe be closer to the... I mean, the Koch brothers, you know, it is an energy company, so... Um, Generally, it's some it's some of both. Often, the person's politics and the person's money are pretty tied up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think this is it's while it is not a uniquely American problem, it this is far far more widespread in the U.S. than it is in other countries. Partly because we aren't particularly well funded by public money. Um, yeah, we don't have the kind of government funding that they've had in Europe, but Europe has been increasingly depending on public money. And of course, the Tate had yep. their whole thing with British uh, Petroleum, BP. So BP, you know, BP had been giving, had been sponsoring Tate f- uh, for 26 years. and With, with it was nary, just, nary a whisper of discontent. It wasn't even a tremendous amount of money. It was kind of like, you know, somewhere between 100 and 300,000 pounds a year. 
mm-hmm. um, not huge on you know in terms of the Tate's overall budget. But yeah, they they ended the the relationship and BP. I think actually in the sense of they were kind of being diplomatic. They were saying, well, we're just having our own financial problems right now, so we're just not going to renew our sponsorship. What was really going on, at least as far as I can tell, or what the speculation is, is that because there had been a lot of protests just in the last couple of years about BP. There's an awareness. There's kind of a transparency and awareness now. People are looking to institutions. They're looking for where the money's coming from. And they're wanting to hold institutions accountable in a way that hasn't, that's really kind of new. I mean, I'd say in the last, hmm. I'd say in the last 10 years, but certainly. But you, but you, because I've got an example that's earlier. Well, okay. Back, in, back be... <laughs> in the 80s, there at Philip Morris. Remember Philip Morris? This yes. is This is a Sackler kind of a thing. Cause, it is. Because I think we could talk about, there's many issues around this that we should, that we should unpack, as it were. Mm. Mm-hmm. But back in the 80s, good old Philip Morris, that cancer-causing death trap cigarette company that funded all kinds of horrible, wrong-headed, uh, quote-unquote, studies to prove that cigarettes were actually healthy for you, or at least not unhealthy, um, gave a ton of money to the arts. And in, in the 80s, by 80s dollars, it was a lot of money. They were one of the major donors to the arts in America, specifically to dance. And uh, the New York Times ran a piece, this was in 1990, and they said the dance ecosystem in New York and elsewhere would not even look the same if it weren't for Philip Morris supporting all these dance companies and all these dance troops. Unfortunately, Philip Morris was also headquartered in North Carolina, where Mm -hmm. all the tobacco gets grown, which was also the uh, state, as we all hopefully have cast away from our memories hoping to forget of senator jesse helms remember jesse Mm. helms of course jesse helms went after the nea and uh successfully uh, with ronald reagan as president slashed the budget of the nea and and hated art and thought it was all bullshit so here's philip morris cigarette company on the one hand giving a ton of money to jesse helms on the other hand giving a ton of money to the arts and so people got upset about it. And eventually what happened, of course, is that, you know, people, there was just such a general overwhelming wave of backlash against tobacco. Uh, Philip Morris was bought out and, and the company that bought them moved their headquarters away or, or moved them outside of New York. So they weren't even around New York anymore. So the money went poof and hurt a lot of arts organizations, particularly in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a, a, an example that, to my mind, is is very much on par with the Sackler. You're talking about a drug that hurts people that the companies have knowingly tried to push out there. One of the one of the names that came up when I was talking to Jeremy Strick about this very issue, he brought, he brought up the Philip Morris thing through the '80s. In a sense of trying to, you know, how far back do we have to go to untangle, you know, so-called bad money from institutions? What about Rockefeller Center? What about the Whitney? What about, you know, it's like these were kind of the robber barons of their time. Well, I spoke to Cheryl... Kolazinski, who was formerly the deputy director of the Menil. She's now with the Houston Zoo. She was formerly with the Smithsonian. And she said, she just laughed, and she's like, how many generations have to pass before the, the money becomes clean? I don't know. There's no such thing as totally clean money. When you're talking about the sums of money that um, museums or these large institutions need millions of dollars, 
there's never some objectionable aspect to how that money was made, whether it be Walmart, whether it be Silicon Valley, as if they if they were to actually try to fund the arts, which they don't. Which you know, they don't. which <laughs> we don't even have to worry about Facebook's gross money because they're definitely not giving it to the arts. Nope. It, you know, it's like although they may they may start giving they may <laughs> they may start whitewashing their <laughs> reputation now by funding the arts. Uh. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's such a thing as clean money. There wasn't a, such a thing as clean money in the Renaissance or the Middle Ages. It was always kind of gross where it came from. It's very, very rare that that amount of wealth hasn't come off the back of some kind of corruption or exploitation or, you know, but, uh, or ext- and that's, even just extreme income inequality. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's happening and as institutions are competing for the money from the same, you know, 1% or one point one percent is that a lot of the the richest people who are very into art are building their own institutions and their own names you know they want their own big shiny buildings a you know as in the broad um or alice walton with crystal bridges or or just just like the frick and ju- this is nothing new just like the yeah the, the getty the getty the getty and we sure. there's a movie with somebody who wasn't incriminated by the me too movement about him oh hey mm-hmm. speaking of the me too movement did you see this mm-hmm. thing about uh cornell university and richard meyer did you hear about this i know that richard meyer's in trouble all right so uh january 30th of this year in architectural digest there's a big fluff piece about richard meyer making a major donation to a cornell university his alma mater Mm-hmm. hilariously painfully hideously i don't know there's an image accompanying this article of richard meyer sitting there pointing with his cane at something on the wall with a group of students and a very attractive young woman standing next to him sort of facilitating his talk holding a microphone and it's like oh dear and and this article is this fluffy like yay about richard meyer funding a chair a named chair at cornell university Fast forward uh, exactly six weeks, almost to the day later, Architectural Digest runs a piece about Cornell refusing this gift from Richard Meyer. Now, a named chair at a university, you're probably talking about a million dollars. This is not like mm-hmm. $30 million, $15 million, but it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, the point is Cornell University will continue and be absolutely just fine without that million dollars. They can survive without it. Um, but but you well, get but you get to this question of the quantity of money. Yeah, the quantity of money and and would it, what what would make a museum turn down thirty five million dollars? Considering how much museums are competing for everyone's entertainment dollars at this point, yeah. museum you know museum uh, attendance is not up. It's actually it's trending downward. And what's considered kind of cultural entertainment at this point is much more widespread than it used to be. Museums are trying to get people through the doors. They'll do it, not by any means necessary, but certainly a big new shiny wing tends to get people pretty excited, at least for a few years. Uh, it tends to get more board members to come on. It tends to get more more donations from other rich people. It's just kind of a mark of confidence or it's a big shiny new, you know, uh, hood ornament for a museum. Even if they're having trouble with just operation operational costs, they'll take 
$35 million to build a new wing. Well, back to the people who are protesting these kinds of donations. To me, I, I don't think this is a black and white, you know, as usual. This is a complex uh, topic, and there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of how bad the money is. Absolutely. Are you going to refuse money from the Walton Foundation because you're upset about mom-and-pop stores disappearing from rural America? Are you going to uh, are you gonna not accept money from an energy company because you're upset about, you know, environmental concerns around energy consumption, even though you drive a car and use electricity? Um, or are you not going to accept money from a company that arguably their product their product directly causes uh, the death of humans, like, like the Sacklers or, or mm -hmm. like Philip Morris? Mm -hmm. To me, those things are not equitable. They're not the same thing. And if you want to protest an oil company giving money to an art museum, you better be ready to not drive a car and not use electricity yourself or plastic or anything that comes from petrochemical products. Versus, I think the opioid thing uh, is a little more extreme. And I, I, I don't have a problem with people protesting the Sacklers. Uh, and I don't have a problem with uh, people wanting Rebecca Mercer off the board of the Natural History Museum. Although, I suppose if you're really trying to be philosophical about this, you could say that the board having to vote uh, to allow her to be on the board, maybe they were thinking that if they got this woman on the board, they'd somehow influence her positively. No. <laughs> do, you, do you think that that's even a question that came up or that that was an argument for no. allowing her to be on the board? Not at all? No, I'm sure the people on the board are, are mostly conservative, and I think they were like, ooh, she's loaded. And so when every single curator at the Natural History Museum signs a petition that says, we're really concerned about this woman, and we really would rather her not be on the board, I just don't see, I mean... I, did they know, do that I, before she was on the board, or did they do that after she was already on the board? I think after she was already well, on the board. Well, then, I mean, I'm just saying, in the recruitment process, it, I'm sure it didn't even enter these people's heads. Wow. No, I mean, they're, look, the Board of Trustees, their number one priority is to make sure that the ship stays afloat and, and to raise money. That is the, the board's number one job is, is the, is the ship staying afloat economically, financially, and is the director doing his or her job? And, and beyond that, you know, in, in an ideal world, they are not involved with programming or, or staff or anything else beyond that. Their job is to just raise money. And that's why you have fabulously wealthy people on the boards of these big institutions, because the minimum donation annually that they are, that they are contractually obligated to give is five figures at least. There's the you know there's always a, a bit of a concern. Um, although I think there have been some lessons in the last twenty years about this when museums have had to give up gifts. But when a very rich donor comes in and says, "I'm going to give you millions and millions of dollars for this particular wing, but I want you to put this stuff in this wing," <laughs> you know, yeah. they're basically trying to become curators. And museums having to. Like Catherine Reynolds was a uh, somebody who tried to give a, a giant gift to the Smithsonian and wanted a very particular kind of wing built that would honor American heroes. But she wanted to name who the heroes were. <laughs> so they had to give $35 million back. This was around 2002. Well, and I read a good article on a website called givingthought.org that, that said, here are three scenarios that determine whether a charity can justifiably accept a problematic donation. Mm-hmm. 
Number one, the charity can demonstrate that some social good is actually being done with the money. So this was something that came up in my conversations with people. It's like, well, what would you rather these people do with their money? Like, would you rather it go to museum or would you rather it go to uh, cars and yachts and, uh, you know, houses and an, an island in the South Pacific? I mean, if they're giving it to some larger public good, regardless of regardless of their motivation and regardless how they made the money, isn't that not necessarily a bad thing? So this is this, it's just something you have to consider. All right, so number two, no strings are attached to the donation, to your point. No strings mm-hmm. are attached to the donation. That would compromise the charity's mission or integrity. And that's why, that's when donors give and they say, you can have this money, but I get to say who the heroes are. Or, you know, there was the case of the law gift to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have accepted the gift of these European paintings. But Mrs. Law, when she bequeathed her collection of European paintings to the, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, she insisted that the, they always be hung on peach-colored walls. Oh. And, they agree, and they agreed to this, which is nuts. But, yeah, it's nuts that she would ask that, and it's nuts that they would agree. But on the other hand, they kind of needed these paintings because... They, they didn't have much in that section. So, you know, they agreed to this, uh, you know, and you can say, well, wall color, well, okay. But strings being attached to it that really affect, compromise the mission of the organization, the charitable mission of the organization, then that's a scenario where you should not accept the money. The money should be given in good faith, no strings attached. All right. And the third uh, criteria is acceptance of the donation is not seen as an endorsement of the donor's current or future practices. And this, I think, is where it gets interesting with the Coke Plaza and Jerry Saltz's little bit of performance art that he did out there, protest art. Is the Met implicitly endorsing the Coke brothers by having a named Coke brother on right out there in front of the museum in big marble gold letters? I think his name is on both sides of the fountain, uh, so it's out there twice. And I think the museum, and I don't know if this is true or not, if the museum just felt like out of diplomacy it had to say this, but they said that David Koch did not say, did not tell them that they had to put his name in this plaza publicly. They chose to do that. Hmm. Um, no. I almost don't believe that. I don't, that's I don't where, believe that. Look. That's where my cynicism kicks in. I'm like, oh, come on. Well, this this is the problem. Like, if you're a, a museum or any kind of a charity and you're, like, lending your good works towards somehow redeeming this person from their questionable reputation from their business practices, again, like, does that matter? Does Because there's no way that you can get around that you are doing that. To some extent, you are doing that. As, as long as it's their name and not anonymous in your letter or on your wall or in your plaza or wherever that they're acknowledged, then in some ways you are saying, like, look at this good person who supported us in our mm-hmm. good works. There's, mm-hmm. there's no avoiding that. <laughs> a little side story here. This is a true story, actually. I, I'm not going to name names, but I'll say a prominent New York art dealer once told uh, my husband and I a story about a collector coming in to his gallery and saying to him, I will buy this big multi-million dollar piece of art, however much it was, maybe it was just a few hundred thousand. I promise you I will buy you, I will buy this piece for myself if you promise you will vote Republican in the next election. <laughs> What did the dealer I think, say? I think he just laughed. And I don't I, I don't really remember the outcome of the story. My sense is that he basically told them to fuck off. It was a weird test, and it was a humiliating test. I mean, it was meant to be humiliating, I think. And it's, it's a, quite a sadistic thing for a very rich person to do, although uh, this 
dealer wasn't exactly hurting for cash. So, well, one you know, of the, one of the things, uh, just as a side note, in the art world, is that the art world, generally speaking, is is a progressive liberal place politically. And the donors are not. They are not. And I've talked to collectors and donors. These people are Republicans, you know, and, and they have talked about how they feel like they have to never express their real opinions or discuss politics in the art, inside the art world because they'll be shunned, even though they're the ones paying for everything. So it's, it's an interesting thing where people uh, who in other spheres of their lives would feel completely comfortable you know, discussing their views openly or, or saying that they supported Mitt Romney, maybe not Donald Trump, but, you know, former Republican nominees for president. But they won't say that in the art world. But they want to be in the art world. Yeah, and they can buy their way into the art world. Absolutely, they can. And they do. Texas is no different from New York in, in any of this regard. You know, the people who work in the in the art world in Texas tend to be progressives, and a whole lot of the richest collectors are lean pretty Republican. Well, I mean, without the oil and gas business, there is no art. There are no art museums in Texas. Like this is the idea that the Texas art scene survives without the energy industry is ridiculous. These days. Well, and for decades, you know, I mean, that's that's been where the money comes from in our state. And so I think that you don't hear the kind of grumblings. You don't see these these big protests here that you see in places that are not you know, surviving on energy, like London. You can take this whole argument, this whole conundrum, and you can boil it down into smaller and smaller kind of examples that get more personal, including something like, let's say you've got a fairly poor artist living in central Dallas who needs a studio, and a, de- a developer, a real estate developer, who's known for going into neighborhoods and tearing down historic buildings and putting up, you know, shopping strips or whatever, uh, buys a set of buildings, and for the first couple of years that that developer owns the buildings, he's happy to let artists come in and use the space for cheap. The artist may or may not know what the developer's up to, what the developer's plans are for this real estate or for this particular neighborhood, but you know, we're not asking artists to not move into cheap space because it belongs to a developer who we don't like. I, I would I would never put any of this on the backs of artists themselves. I, mean, I wouldn't like, either. At, at the individual level, you... You, you do what you need to do, and, and you live with whatever you need to live with. And, and I, I'm talking really about the institutional level. And again, there are degrees of donations. There, there was a story about the Girl Scouts in, um, I think it was Washington State, and a donor gave them um, $100,000, which is real, was real money for this you know, branch of the Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. But the donor said, you can't use it to support anything about transgender Girl Scouts. Yeah. And the Girl Scout, this Girl Scout troop, brand, whatever it was, like local chapter. Chap- yeah, chapter, uh, turned it down. And mm-hmm. for them, this was real money and it was painful. And they had an internal conversation apparently. And they went public and they said, you know, this happened. And we said no. And they did a video about how they believe in inclusivity. And sure enough, they raised $400,000 uh, you know, by doing a Kickstarter campaign, talking about how they turned this money down. So there's there's mm-hmm. also like a, a there's a it can c- sometimes turn out you know as a positive thing for an organization to turn money down. But I think that's probably incredibly rare. But yeah. I think it, well, first of all, I think it's incredibly rare that people turn money down, and I think it's incredibly rare that you know something like that happens. But it could happen. 
Now, when you're talking about the Tate Modern or a big museum, the Metropolitan accepting $35 million, well, there aren't $35 million for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, even the Metropolitan Museum of Art, just lying around all over the place. They need those Mm. size of gifts uh, don't just hang on trees for them. So, you know, whether or not they had to take it. I mean, that Egyptian uh, display, the way it's done, because there's so much natural light, so much bird-killing natural light, Mm -hmm. is really wonderful. It's really spectacular. It's a very, very special... Um, crowd-pleasing, you know, moment that occurs in that museum. It's not my favorite thing in the whole museum, but, you know, it happened because of people who profited off of the opioid crisis or what became the opioid crisis. What's kind of galling about this entire conversation, when you think about it, obviously, is that, you know, so-called progressives or liberals or whatever it is that I would even define myself as, you know, we, we police our own, we get policed, you know, we're having this conversation, we're talking about institutions, nonprofits, big art spaces, taking money, and, you know, we're, we're worrying about it being hypocritical, or worrying about it being corrupt, or worrying about it. And, you know, uh, <laughs> the right-wing people in the U.S. are not having these conversations about their own institutions, their own politics. They don't police themselves the way we police ourselves. Ah, so why are questionable monies going towards the arts? Hmm. Could it be that this is a way to burnish your reputation? Absolutely. Could it be that this is actually people know deep down, even though they've supported Jesse Helms, or even though they believe the world is flat, that they know that that what they're doing is really the best thing that they can do for their reputation? I, I think that people, however much they may denigrate art, they still look up to it. Mm-hmm. And even the Metropolitan Mu- Museum of Art, he didn't give it to MoMA. You no, know? He, he certainly didn't. He didn't give it to the Drawing Center downtown or the new museum. He gave it to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is great as it is. And as much as I love that museum and I passionately love that museum, it's not like it, controversial. I would say the more a museum is associated with very contemporary art, the less of certainly the less of these kinds of gifts that they're getting. Oh, yeah. I mean, old stuff that's been vetted and everyone's like, yes, yes, you know, treasures of fill in the blank. That That's, it's like I said, it's unimpeachable. Uh, would the new museum take a $65 million gift from David Koch? <sighs> if I were the director of the new museum and David Koch were offering and he said, I want, I want my name acknowledged, but you do whatever you want with that money. I believe in what you do, and you just take it, f- fly free. Hell yes, I would take that money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, and this actually leads to something that is interesting, which is the other side of the equation, which is just giving to the arts, like, some, like supporting the arts, which people use that as a catchphrase. We've used it as a catchphrase. Well, they're supporting the arts, and they're supporting the arts. You know, mm-hmm. if I were if I were giving thirty five million dollars, I would want to know that some artists were directly benefiting. I'm going to read a sentence. I think Ben Davis wrote this, and I think it was an op ed that he wrote for the New York Times. I think in 2016, it says he wrote, according to the art newspaper, close to five billion dollars from 2007 to 2014 was spent in the United States on new expansions meaning museum expansions, more than the other 37 countries the newspaper examined put together. Well, and the museum people would say, that's because that's all we can raise money for. They, nobody wants to give to programming. They only want to give to muse- to buildings. But uh, but uh, all I was saying in reading that that, sen- that sentence earlier was that the, U- the U.S. really is unique uh, to the degree in which it, it funds culture through private philanthropy. 
Um, and so when this thing happened with BP in the UK, it was fairly new. And I know that a lot of the British newspapers were like, well, okay, but let's look at what else BP does. They uh, give to humanitarian crises. They, they fund a lot of STEM uh, education. They give money, like they gave $100,000 to the state of Texas for uh, flood uh, recovery in, I think, 2016. Even even Sackler money, even Mercer money, even Koch brother money goes to philanthropy, and it goes and sometimes goes to actually quite useful kind of humanist causes. And then also there's a, there are scenarios where the money is given and it's all hunky dory, and then later the person goes to prison for tax evasion, or the person goes to prison for whatever you know something bad happens regarding that person. You know, in that case, ugh, you've already accepted this money. Maybe years in the past. In that case, you know, I think the organization is is more in the right to say, like, look, this is like five years ago. We can't come up with this money now. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing. I mean, I I think that museums. This is something museums are always having to consider. Of course, it would be it would be very very nice if the United States had more public money for art, but that's going backward. That's getting worse and worse rather than better and better. Well, and philanthropic giving, I think, has been on the rise. And to American taxpayers, generally speaking, don't want their money going to the arts. Well, that's true. So, I mean, this trend isn't going to reverse. It's just going to get worse if we want to say that that's what it is, getting worse rather than getting better. Well, I think that there is this culture of protest in, the, in you know, just generally speaking right now. And in the art world, you're seeing it with these kinds of protests against donors. You're seeing it against uh, gentrification, which is a totally different animal. We're seeing it about exhibition schedules in museums and, and around identity politics as well. Museums are just being watched in a way that they haven't been watched in a long time. That's what I was trying to say earlier in the podcast. Just everything is being scrutinized so heavily right now. You know, the problem is these big institutions, people like them. It's sort of like a codependent relationship where they're building these big buildings and the donors like that and it's fancy and everything's fancy and it all feels good and fancy. But it's not really furthering art. It's not helping artists living artists and it's not really furthering you know if museum attendance is dropping off it's not like furthering the cause of art in our culture necessarily to me the number one thing that museums do and most of them are great about this is getting school kids in and doing lots and lots of school tours and of course there's tons of money for that because people believe in it you know every time i go to new york and go to the metropolitan there's like a dozen school buses out front I love it. I take pictures of it. Well, uh, so how, do we have a conclusion here? Do we have any takeaways? We don't, except that this is a very gray area. It's very muddy. Um, it's going to stay muddy. If the Cokes want to make a $35 million donation to Glass Tire, um, we'll certainly consider it. David? <laughs> David. David, I know you're listening. We're here. We're, we're here. We'll, we'll give you a hug even. Yeah. Uh, well, you can do that. I'll watch. I'm very, I'm a we'll boy throw here. in a koozie. <laughs> they're pretty, they're pretty cool. cool. They're a little flimsy, but they're they're. But good they color. say go see some art, and that's fun. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, we have no solutions about this about this thorny problem. The people on the receiving end of these giant gifts, I'm sure, do not see it as a problem, except for the public controversy that ensues. And having protesters come to your museum, especially Nan Golden come into your museum and throw garbage in your fountain. 
Anything else? Well, no, I mean, I think... What are you excited about? Well, you know, uh, I'm excited. Really? You're really asking me what I'm excited about? I'm excited hey, about going to... what are you excited to- about these days, Christina? I'm excited that I'm going to San Antonio next week. Me and, too! Uh, I am looking forward to seeing San Antonio. I've, it's It's been too long, and I want to catch up and see a bunch of shows. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be in San Antonio toward the end of next week. Really looking forward to it. I always absolutely love going there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking forward to. And the rest of you, we're getting into summer weather, unlike the rest of the country. So mm. go, go, put on your linen and go see some art. Yeah, go see some art. Oh.